0: Good morning. Good morning. morning. Welcome to this sauna. (laughs) It feels like a sauna in here, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It's like 10 degrees cooler upstairs, I think. Let's go upstairs. (laughs) Should we make it cooler? I don't know. I mean, I think it's down. Uh, Oh. It's just, keep it up. Uh, It's a big challenge. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's a big challenge that we all face how to keep up with what's happening now. <laughs> Today is the, um, the last day of our spring practice period, which was a short one. We only had about four and a half, five to five weeks for this practice period. But as many of you know, the, the theme of the practice period um, that was selected uh, was the foundations of Zen. and through the class and the practice period gatherings and the different teachers who, well, one, of, one teacher who came in, in particular Kokyo, who came in to the beginning of the practice period, um, it's been really, for me, very instructive for myself um, to ask the question, what are the foundational practices of Zen, what's most important? Because when you think about it, the Dharma is actually really simple. Practicing the Dharma is, can be very simple, very challenging to do. But one of the themes that kept coming back in the kept coming up in the practice period was the theme of simply remembering. Just to simply remember what the practice is. Oftentimes we know, we can say, any one of you can say what practice is. And anything you say, if you're, you know, considerate and thoughtful and reflective, is probably going to be true or have some truth to it. What's foundational? Last last Dharma talk I gave was last weekend as part of a half-day retreat. But I think we ended on, I think I asked the question, what is really foundational in all of Buddhism? It kind of marks all of Buddhism. Do you remember what we came up with, or what what I threw out there? Do no harm. Do no harm. Yeah. How foundational is that? Do no harm. Oftentimes, uh, Dharma teachers, when talking about trying to condense the Buddhist teachings into like something very specific and short, <laughs> do no harm is one. Oftentimes, uh, the Buddha is quoted as saying that fundamentally, the practice is acknowledging suffering the causes of suffering the alleviation of suffering and then the path to that alleviation of suffering again very simple very basic Uh, one of my favorite Dharma teachers Gil Farnsdahl talks about the main practice that we have ahead of us, in front of us, that we incorporate, that we integrate, is the practice of uh, being in non-contention, finding non-contentiousness with all things. You can say it in one sentence. (laughs) Simple, huh? (laughs) Non-contentiousness. How does that sound? sum up the practices of just practicing non-contentiousness does it seem like if we're practicing non-contentiousness that we turn away from contention does that help <laughs> yeah it can Right, we can turn away from our own contentiousness how do you turn away from it without it coming back to bite you though We look deeply into it. See what's going on. Yeah, right. You look deeply into it. That's how you practice with it. As opposed to, oh, I'm going to practice with non-contentiousness, and so I'm going to resolve not to have any contention. and if contention arises, I'm just gonna ignore it. <laughs> right? It doesn't work so well, right? We all, we've all tried it. I think I think one of the first things that happens for many people who come to a Dharma center, is that they feel like, oh, this is a place of peacefulness and harmony, so I'm going to try being peaceful and harmonious. And then you sit down for a little bit, and wham! <laughs> Your mind kind of throws a bunch of stuff at you. And it's like, how, how can I, how is this possible? How is this peaceful? How is this non-contention in my own body? Right? When Gil talks about non-contentiousness, and the practice of uh, finding the path of non-contention. He talks about it in the context of the fundamental suffering that all suffering that we experience, as opposed to pain, there's a distinction, right, between pain and suffering, but all suffering comes from our being in contention with the way things are, with what's happening in the world, with our minds, with our bodies, with our health, with other people, that that's where suffering happens, when we are in contention with what's happening in the moment. So, one other thing that came out of, that's been coming out of this practice period on foundations of Zen, because I've been talking more generally about Buddhism, but in Zen, there's even more. There's more flavor, or there's another flavor, um, with regard to this question. So, for example, what is uh, like we just chanted? We just chanted a bunch of things. Actually, we we chanted. Uh, um, is anyone here for, uh, here for the first time? No. Okay. So you've all chanted this chant, these chants before. The first chant we chanted was a chant uh, as a, that's an homage to wisdom. And then we chanted the Shosamyo Kichijo Dharani, which is a Dharani, or an, uh, like a, you can think of it as like a magical incantation, an incantation to remove obstructions and hindrances in our lives, in our life of practice. How do we resolve hindrances? How do we resolve contention? Yeah? And then the third chant that we chant is the loving kindness sutta. Well, this loving kindness meditation. Right? So in terms of foundations of Zen, I'd say these, these are pretty good. Those three chants are pretty good right? to come back to wisdom and compassion and finding a way to work with hindrances, finding a way to work with the obstructions, things that we think of as obstructions, right? How many times do we think of something as an obstruction to our practice? Like, oh, sleepiness, or pain in the legs or shoulders, or uh, apathy, laziness, like these are all considered hindrances to our practice. How do we work with those? So to name them, to even um, turn towards them, as Pat just said, maybe even getting to the place where when we when we encounter hindrance, we ca- encounter contentiousness, we encounter conflict, internal, external, in our society, in our nation. What's our... What's our disposition internally, internally, towards the conflict itself? What's our disposition to to the hindrances, the things that we call our the hindrances in our life? Right? Suzuki Roshi famously said, "Was uh, uh, when talking about having a problem, you should be grateful for your problems." Right. Now, in the midst of having problems, that's the last thing we really feel, right, is gratitude towards the problem. We all have, uh, throughout our lifetime, every single one of us experiences tragedies and uh, delights, joys and turmoil, depression, anxiety, and awakeness. Um, We're all in it in the same way maybe not in the same as all the time but we all experience, experience the same qualities how do we turn towards them how do we know how to practice there's a story uh, in the early sutras called a uh, uh, description of the Buddha who is passing through the town of Kalama have you heard this before maybe it's a, yeah, it's a pretty, um, you'll, you'll, you'll when, I, when I say this story, I think many of you will know it. The question that the townsfolk of Kalama ask the Buddha as he's passing through, they ask him, Buddha, there are so many different teachers that come through. There are so many different uh, gurus and training programs and opinions How on earth can we decide what's true and what is false? How do we discern for ourselves what to trust, what to believe? This is a fundamental question of practice. How do we know? It's a fundamental question of epistemology. How do we know what we think we know? So what do you think the Buddha says? Does he give them an answer? Try it out. Try it out? But how do you know? How do you know? So, question being, on what authority do we believe what we believe? This is a fundamental practice, uh, a fundamental process in anyone's practice. How do you know what you know to be true? On what authority do you take something as truth? On what authority do I believe that uh, the sun will rise tomorrow, as a simple example? Okay. The Buddha says, this is kind of interesting, he says, on what authority do we believe something we, we mustn't rely on uh, authority by reports? by analogies, by probabilities, by scripture. These are all things we don't rely on. By agreement with your views. That's a big one, right? I mean, I think that's the number one thing that we rely on. (laughs) Does it conform to what I already believe? Yeah? By logical conjecture, by inference, or because my teacher said so. These are all things you do not rely on. Not even meditative knowing. <coughs> so what then? What then? On what authority do we, uh, do we build trust? On what authority do we know what is true and what is false? Anyone? Experience? Experience? Mm, sounds kind of like inference, but maybe okay. maybe more, what, what do you mean by experience? Which experience? Uh, uh, knowing the truth. The experience of knowing the truth? How do you know it's true? <laughs> it's obvious, I guess. Because it's obvious? Mm-hmm you haven't been visited by Descartes' evil demon yet. (laughs) How do we know? How do we know? You could say uh, intuition. But even intuition, how many times have we had an intuition and found out that it was wrong? How many times, I mean, just uh, looking back over our our strongly held beliefs of five years ago, ten years ago, how many of those do we still adhere to? What changes? How do we uh, revise our understanding? So the Buddha in this... Oh. What do you mean? How would you define know? Yes. Yeah. What do, what do we... Yeah. How, what is knowledge? What does it mean to know something deeply? Is it knowing of a fact of the matter, like a statement about the world? We might say, yes. I was going to just say that there's a kind of knowledge that's more about codification of some sort of experience into, into who we are or into our bodies or into our experience that's very different than you know, some sort of linguistic, structural... Propositional knowledge, knowing... I think specifically of pain, right, or of a very painful experience being something that's kind of undoubted, you know, or undoubtable about the imminence of pain, right? Yeah. It's not really, you don't question if you're, you know, if you're being burned badly, right, or if you cut yourself and it hurts very badly. There isn't really much speculation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do we all agree with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Patrick? I, I would say we don't know. We know by knowing, we know by letting go of knowing, and... That sounds advanced. <laughs> <laughs> I said that sounds advanced. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, except goes to the idea of imminence. What, what we know, you don't know by experience, because that's already there, that's already happened. But uh, the only thing you can know is each moment by moment imminence along with the knowing of pain or the absence of pain. So this is basically what the Buddha says. This is his answer. You just said it. How do we know what to trust? By staying close to the arising and falling of experience. In particular, the, fa- the fundamental elements of pain or suffering. What? makes us suffer or what alleviates suffering to stay close to that that's what we know right sometimes when people when people are asked the question of you know what do you reliably know what do you really reliably know and some people will say well i know who i am <laughs> or i know god mm-hmm. right people will say that yeah but you probe a little bit. Like, What do you really, really know? What can you be certain of? Can you be certain that you know yourself? Can you be certain that you know about God? Can you be certain about the narrative that is constructed about your experience even? How many times have you had an experience where you felt like you had it all figured out? This was a bad experience. And then upon reflection, upon maybe some time passing, upon seeing the, co- the consequences of holding a view or of releasing a view, we come to a different understanding. And what seemed like it was a fixed view has dissipated, is dissolved, it's actually changed, even down to like something that we would say, this is a bad experience in my life. Maybe it can be a bad experience in our lives, and yet it's something that teaches us very valuable, teaches us something that's very valuable. And so you can't just throw out the experience and say, oh, this is just bad, right? How many times have we, ourselves, experienced that? So the Buddha says, when you know for yourselves that these qualities or these states of mind that are held, or occupied, are unskillful, blameworthy, criticized by the wise, that when carried out lead to harm and suffering, then you should abandon them. And then the reverse is true. When you, in your experience, find that these states of mind, these orientations, these beliefs, these uh, these qualities, are wholesome, are skillful, that when practiced lead to alleviation of suffering. Then you should uh, acknowledge them and welcome them. So, rather than coming up with a fixed view of how well, this is how you know you have this little you know this little litmus test and then you know for sure this way or that way. It's actually. Uh, much more pragmatic, where you use, you utilize, and this is foundational to our practice, we utilize our experience of suffering, or lack of suffering, or joy and happiness, not temporary joy and happiness, but a subtle deep ease. We use our experiences of those, which we ex- we, you know we experience, if we pay attention, we can experience these, We use those, suffering and happiness, as a guide. This is foundational. The path of liberation, the path of freedom, can only be traversed by opening up to our experience of our own suffering, by our own, uh, the times of alleviation of suffering. This is a basic ability that we all have to reflect on, where's my suffering? How do I suffer? Again, without making a cold narrative, that, that's a rabbit hole. To make a narrative of, well, this is why I'm suffering because when I was five, this thing happened to me. and da-da-da. That may be true, that that's something that happened in one's life. But to have that as something fixed, that's going way beyond just acknowledgement of looking deeply into one's experience and making an assessment of what is suffering again with this uh, being careful not to um, conflate feeling of pain there's a pain in my leg right now with suffering oftentimes we call this the this the the optional suffering pain can be what's immediately there we experience pain, but then there's this this other thing. This we take an extra step. We can take an extra step and make it into a bigger thing, and that's what you know really creates the suffering, right? The optional suffering. You all know what I'm talking about, yeah? I encourage the people who are in the class and the practice period to uh, last, this past week, a couple of days ago, we had our month, lo- monthly Bodhisattva Full Moon Ceremony, which is a uh, the oldest, the oldest Buddhist ceremony of confession and repentance and rededication of uh, our intention to practice, in particular, to practice with the precepts. This is a ceremony where we acknowledge our karma. We acknowledge our, you know, all the con- causes and conditions of a lifetime, of beyond our lifetime. We acknowledge it. We say there it is. This is what I have to work with. Right? Without judgment. It's just matter of fact. This is what I'm working with. All these causes, all these habit the habit energy of growing up in this culture, growing up with these people, having these peers, having these uh, experiences, this is the result of that. We can all say that with some certainty, right? That we are the result of our life. (laughs) Yeah? It's kind of a truism in a sense. So this practice, of this monthly practice of coming together and mutually acknowledging, this is our karma. This is where we find ourselves. This condition, this is the human condition in which we find ourselves. And then, what do we do after we acknowledge our karma? We avow, we say, I'm gonna look at this, right? I'm gonna look at, at this and study my own suffering deeply. And how am I gonna do this? What are the tools that I'm going to have in my toolbox to help me? What are the tools that we have at our disposal? The precepts. Oh, awareness. Awareness, yes. Our basic awareness. And the precepts. From the uh, refuges. I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma, and I take refuge in Sangha. And then the pure precepts. I vow. So re-avowing. Given the human condition, given this human condition, this human's condition, how do I go forward? How do I acknowledge what's here and avow for what's next? yeah it's funny um, I was reading a story uh, a story by uh, Tan Jeff Tanisaru Biku, who's of the he lives in California and is the abbot of the Forest Meta, Meta center where we have a visiting teacher who comes through Shotai Delarosa. de la Rosa she lives there she's coming in August actually where Tanisaru Bhikkhu is talking about the difference between practicing with, uh, in Thailand with Thai people and practicing in America and being the abbot of an American monastery. Mm-hmm. And he said the hardest thing, the hardest thing um, is the difference, dealing with the, the challenges associated with dealing with the difference in the orientation towards conflict. Mm-hmm. Americans, he says, they tend to approach conflict with this impulse to figure out who's wrong, blame them, and get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Americans do. Like, let's, what's the problem? Okay, have we fixed the problem? Psh, what else is there to do? Yeah? However, he talks about in Thailand, um, the Thai people have this attitude of, well, we have to live with each other. <laughs> How are we going to do that? <laughs> and he and he remarks that this being the most challenging thing to practice with in American centers, I would have to say this is true. I would have to say that this is born out of... Uh, my whole experience with practicing in, you know, different centers, not many, many different centers and Zen centers, but conflict is such a challenging thing to deal with that at San Francisco Zen Center, they spend a lot of effort and energy hiring people to come train everyone in communication in conflict. How do you be in conflict? What's another foundational teaching around conflict? that you can imagine. What is conflict for a Buddhist practitioner? What is contention? Separation. Separation? It's painful, yeah. Attachment. Attachment to views? Yeah. Reminds me of that... uh, Don't rely on agreement with your own views. (laughs) So hard. So, anyway, Tannisar, in his description of the most challenging part of being, he says, the most challenging part of being an abbot of this center, of a center, has been getting Americans to adopt a different view around conflict. Even though, even though, whatever is uh, arising in the moment as Pat said, we turn towards it. Turn towards it, that's the only thing that we can do. This is what's happening now. This is reality in the sense of the reality of the moment. Whatever it is, it could be harmony, it could be contention, it could be uh, disagreement, it could be agreement, right? Whatever it is, to think that, oh, it shouldn't be this, it should be something else, that's the fundamental affliction that's the fundamental affliction of our ignorance is that whatever's happening to say, well, this thing that's happening should not be happening. I mean, we can say that, but does that help our orientation in the next moment? When we look deeply into our intention, we find that sometimes our intention, uh, you know, let's, like let's say we're having a conflict. Sometimes the intention in in uh, traversing the conflict itself, if we look deeply, again as much as possible without uh, criticizing, just being able to look clearly, right to see clearly, requires that we have a ability to or a capacity to step back and not pass judgment. Judgment will come, we'll have judgments. Judgments, as you all know, judgments come whether you want them to or not, right? Try having no judgments, right? You can't, you can't do it. But they'll come. The question is how do we orient ourselves towards them? How do we orient ourselves towards the mind that judges? Do we then judge that? No. It ends up being an infinite regress of judgment after judgment oftentimes our intention, you know, uh, if we look deeply, we might notice that what we really want is to be right. Yeah? Or what, um, or we might find if we dig a little bit deeper that our real intention is to feel connected. To feel like uh, we're safe. That we can be vulnerable. One uh, teacher, that one of the teachers I mentioned, who uh, came to San Francisco Zen Center to do a lot of trainings in in mediation and conflict, um, she says first she said, "Song of Life is not for sissies," and that's true. She says conflicts. Give us the chance to cl- clearly see the fixed or rigid self, the one who resists change, the one who is right at all costs and makes others wrong. It gives us the opportunity to open to our suffering, the suffering of others, and to experience compassion, which is the seed of reconciliation. Compassion as the seed of reconciliation. So when dealing with uh, the fundamental issue that we have, the fundamental problem which is that we find our, the fundamental problem of suffering, of our suffering being, a description of it being that we are in contention with what's happening in the moment, what's happening in the world, in ourselves. One Zen expression, a very short phrase that is uh, can always be dropped into any time that there's a feeling of rigidity or fixedness. Comes from Suzuki Roshi. Three words. Anyone? Not always so. <laughs> Not always so. Yeah. Suzuki Roshi quotes Dogen. Uh, He says, if we do not practice our way with everyone, with all sentient beings, with everything in the world, on the cosmic stage, that is not our way. And then he says, although we practice with people, our goal is to practice with mountains and rivers, with trees and stones, with everything in the world, everything in the universe (laughs) and to find ourselves in the big cosmos this is what's known as extending our practice so in terms of our getting back to this question of how do we know what's true how do we know it's true in ourselves Is it a statement that we're gonna then uphold and plant our flag flag with? Well, this statement is true. This is how to practice. Rather than finding a fixed notion that we then cling to, to ask the question, what does my practice ask of me? What kind of thinking to have do we have? How do we look at our thinking, just how we think about anything, To be able to deeply feel when our thinking leads to constriction, to tightness versus curiosity, openness, investigation, inquiry. How do we keep our minds pliable and open? There's a, in the Mahaparinirvana Sutta, there's a, uh, the Buddha in the very first, in in the first part of the Mahaparinirvana Sutta, the the Mahayana Parinirvana Sutta, the Buddha is asked uh, to make a comment about how nations prosper or not. All familiar with this? The Buddha talks about seven conditions under which a nation and I think nation could be used as uh, a sangha, a community, or even the nation of our internal, our internal nation (laughs) of all the competing parts of ourselves, right? We can be in total contention internally with nobody else to to add to it, right? We can do it all by ourselves. (laughs) We can find contention he talks about seven conditions that lead to um, the the stability and uh, the well-being of a nation. And I'll just read this. The growth of the Sangha is to be expected and not decline so long as they do these seven things. So long as they assemble frequently and in large numbers. Meet and disperse peacefully and attend to the affairs of the Sangha in Concord. So long as they do not authorize what has not been authorized already, nor abolish what has been authorized, but proceed according to the precepts and rules of training. So long as they respect and revere their elders of long standing, those who have practiced earnestly for a long time, so long as they remain mindful of desires that lead to unwholesome actions and suffering but not fall prey to those desires so long as they are devoted to zazen to meditation so long as they establish themselves in mindfulness doing what they do with as much awareness so that the good among their companions who have not come yet might do so and those already come Might feel at ease. So long as the Sangha members hold to these seven conditions and are known to do so, they can be expected to prosper and not decline. So, let me do an experiment. Noticing in your own bodies, your hearts, like look inside, feel your breath. Is there any contention there? Is there any uh, constriction in your breathing? Mm, What do you do if you find it? What's your orientation towards the constriction? Relax some relaxing, yeah. Anyone else? Find any any internal contention? Even the slightest, most subtle holding, grasping, any contention whatsoever, any blockages as you're breathing. Yeah. What do you do with it? What's your orientation towards blockages? What's your orientation towards pain? Curiosity. As I mentioned, what curiosity? Curiosity. What's that like? Be mm. somewhat illuminating. Sometimes. <laughs> Is it easy? No. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's no, one, no one said it would be easy. <laughs> it's easier to turn away, but to have the orientation, to invite, to be welcoming of an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, as many of you know, this community, this Sangha, this uh, temple, has been through a lot of contention over the past couple years. We've had a number of people in the community working very diligently to study this contention. There's been a lot of resources that have gone to uh, investigation and asking questions of what, um, not just what happened, but where can we go from here? Right? Now again, breathe. Look inside, do you feel any contention? Do you feel any uh, closing, any constriction? What's the orientation that you have towards it when you think of conflict, confusion, anger, strong emotions, people leaving, people accusing, blaming, What's the orientation towards it? The truth of the matter is that all of these things have arisen. That's where we are. When we look at our whole country, the truth is, that's where we are. There's a lot of contention. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of opinion. The Kalama Sutta the Buddha is asked this question, how do you know what's true? How do you know what's false? What's true? Does what's true have to be a statement about uh, the grand scheme of reality? The Buddha redirects this question. The Buddha directs this question towards What what is the fundamental thing that we can know to be true? Whether we suffer, or whether we're free from suffering. To start there. Start there and breathe. And notice to trust, what to trust? More than anything, what to trust is our own awareness of something as simple as, am I suffering? or am I free from suffering? Can we trust our own awareness of our breath? When we breathe, when we we look inside, we turn this light that we usually shine out into the universe, like what's this, what's this, ooh, what's that, ooh, don't like this, shine it over here, right? We do this, we outwardly look at at the universe and we have our emotions and our judgments and, and so forth, How do we turn that light to illuminate what's happening inside me? When I bring up something that's contentious, when I encounter contention, what's my orientation towards it? Can I soften? Can I relax so that I can see more clearly? Because when I'm like this and I'm bound up and I can't breathe because I'm so tense, is that gonna help me see clearly anyone find that getting tense and kind of righteous makes you feel more like you see clearly no no I mean I feel like it at the time right but we all know that feeling of like no I'm right this is right right and I don't mean to say that as like you know we don't ever do that we do that all the time So how do we not be, uh, uh, how do we find a way to work with it as opposed to trying to eradicate this feeling? Feelings of being right happen, I don't know, how many times a day do you think the feeling of being right comes up in each of us? Countless, countless times. We're not gonna eradicate it. But in the next moment we can be, if we're seeing clearly, if we're practicing um, returning to the body, then we can take a step back. We can hold something with some spaciousness. We can have some ease and ask the question again, this time with curiosity, this time with investigation, with gentleness. So I don't know, if, Tim, if you announced I made the announcement about next weekend. This upcoming weekend, we have a workshop, the right use of power workshop at training, and um, my intention is to send a send a uh, an invitation to everyone who is a member or actually who's ever been a member here to come to this beginning of a conversation. I think of the, this as a uh, as a big community meeting. How do we develop a language, a shared language, to talk about uh, how we're doing? What we aspire to? How do we show up? How many of you think of yourselves as uh, a leader? Anyone? Anywhere here? Yeah, (laughs) as a leader, somewhere. (laughs) Every single one of you needs to raise your hand. <laughs> because each one of you is a leader. You are the leader of your life, of your circumstances. Each one of us has the capacity to affect change in the world that makes us leaders. And some people have more power than others. How do we use our power in ways that are supportive and nourishing? of our deepest intention? How do we not squander the power that we have? How do we show up in our own life, as the leader of our life? So it's my hope that for everyone, that you participate. And if you can't, for whatever reason, participate in the whole uh, retreat, it's two days, it's a lot of time, 16 hours, Two days, ten to six. But if you can't come for the whole thing, and you still want to come for some part of it, please just email me. I'd like to keep track of, like, we need to keep track of how many people can uh, we're going to have in the building. But I strongly encourage everyone to join this conversation because that's what it is. This workshop, this training—I've done it. I think Bruce has done part of it. Some other people in the sangha have as well we are coming out of a period of time where there has been not a lot of intra-sangha conversations. It's been a while since we've talked as a, as a group. And in part, I've asked a couple of people like, what do you think keeps us from, from talking with each other? Like what is it that keeps people from talking to each other about things that are challenging? Fear, right? Or not knowing how to start the conversation. Feeling like wow, I I kind of you know I'm I'm feeling like there's there's something there I can't get it out and I don't know how to work with this. It's like there's some kind of stuck energy maybe, right? How to do that with anything in our lives, but you know in this in this context, I think this workshop is going to be in the context of our practice, our practice as a community, our practice as individuals. As the authors of our own lives, right? How can we do this in a way that is um, where we can have some curiosity where well, we don't have fixed views? Where we well, not to say we don't, because we all do, right? We all have some fixed views. Yeah? But how do we work with those fixed views? How do we be curious about our fixed views? And with using, as the Buddha suggests. Looking deeply within to our own constriction or opening in our own bodies and minds, in our hearts. When you feel, think about your heart, or not think about, but like feel into your heart space. Does it feel open or does it feel closed? How do we open it? What's safe for us to feel open? What are the conditions? What are the conditions for a nation's success as a, in terms of its well-being? all of these things this is foundational to practice this is the ground we start from so I encourage everyone please join the conversation it's not I mean this is the upcoming uh, workshop is probably the the, the biggest workshop that we'll do but the, the hope is to continue from this whatever comes out of this weekend together there might be there will be different things that we want to go deeper with different questions but again <coughs> we need everyone who's uh, we need everyone who is in the conversation can we start in the same room can we start and learn a shared language can we sit together and be open curious Time. So I guess I just want to leave you with this um, this notion of questioning deeply our fixed views, questioning deeply the suffering that we experience and the causes of suffering. Not to come up with an answer, right? It's not to come up with an answer so that we can then avoid it. Oh well, I think that uh, you know. Sangha life is tricky and leads to uh, pain and suffering. Therefore, I'm not going to go anymore. I can do that. That's, that's totally fine. Right? But how do we not turn away, uh, internally, how do we not turn away from life, our life, from the life of fellow Sangha members? If we can't do it in our own sangha, how are we gonna do it in the world? So, that's my encouragement to you. I hope to see you. Thank you very much.